Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast where we won't wait 16 years to crush your hopes and dreams. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. You say in big doo-doo this time. We're talking Star Wars. The prequels. Oh, hey, Ben. Hey, John. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired, to be honest. Oh, yeah? You're not sleeping well? I didn't sleep well last night, and um, it's just been a busy week. And then in any off time trying to cram prequels into it, didn't really make it better. Yeah, we generally don't record every week. We usually do every other week. And But uh, for, for Star Wars here, we decided to... Do uh, three episodes concurrently, or no, not concurrently, sequentially, one week after the other. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm all hopped up on Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, well, we're trying to get everything crammed in so that we could uh, get our uh, Rise of Skywalker thoughts in, in as close to real time as we can manage. Yeah, yeah, right on time for, for the release of the new one. So here we are. We have gone ahead over the last week and watched three excellent uh, films in the Star Wars saga. I cheated. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do? Well, I watched all of Phantom Menace and then I was running out of time. So I watched a fan cut of all three movies that was only like an hour and 40 minutes long. And I am jealous of you because I, <laughs> I spent probably close to nine hours watching, uh, watching these, uh, these prequels this last week. But uh, enough of our yammering. We've got a guest today. Guest yammering. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to introduce you to uh, to uh, my old buddy, my old co-worker, and the biggest Star Wars fan in this room currently, uh, Mason Andriata. How we doing today? I'm I'm doing great. Ben never asks me how I'm doing. I don't Wait, do care. You? Wait, do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, occasionally. Usually before the podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm ready to talk some prequels because I know we all have a lot to say. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this one is, uh, we were talking about this beforehand. It's not going to be quite as structured um, because how in the world do you do it? The, the uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. The original trilogy seemed to lend itself to many, you know, just logical talking points. But the, this this uh, this episode seems like it'll be kind of a scattered mess and kind of appropriately so yeah i think so i've like i've got some feelings but they kind of span all of them and then most of the things that i walked away with applied to pretty much all three movies yeah though you did get a bit of a definitely different feel from one to the next they all they all kind of landed in the same basket for me you know growing up with these movies it's like when you're a kid you don't really like see flaws and things the same way you do as an adult so like my problems came later you know, if that makes sense. Oh, I believe that because my kids have terrible taste in like everything. <laughs> hey, I loved Superman three when I was a kid. I still love it, but I but I get that I'm wrong. Well, and on that note, like just to so the audience is in on what we're in on. Uh, Mason is a, a solid decade younger than we are. Yeah. So whereas we kind of grew up with original trilogy, and then after we were not quite adults, but pretty damn close, hit uh, the prequels. He was a kid when the prequels came out, kind of like my kids now are children with the new ones coming out. Yeah. 
So like the original trilogy was our Star Wars that we grew up with. The prequels were Mason's and the new ones are my kids. Yeah. And for me, it's like I always credit Star Wars kind of being my first vivid memory in life. Uh, Damn. The, the day that, you know, I was tired of watching, you know, whatever Disney movies my mom was putting on for me. And I said, I want to watch something new. And she pulled out the the THX box set uh, with the great letter and Malton interviews before them. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, showed me A New Hope for the first time, and I watched it three times in one day, and I kind of credit that as, like, my first vivid memory of life. So I always say my life truly began when Star Wars entered the picture. Oh, geez. Yeah, so give us a nice. give us a, a little little rundown of your history of Star Wars, because like I said, you're, you're definitely more steeped in Star Wars than uh, than we are. What What is Star Wars to you? I, I don't want this to sound like, weird but star wars is everything to me in a lot of ways like star wars i you know i had a hard time as a kid growing up and you know i i I was bullied a lot and didn't have a lot of friends and stuff at times in my life so star wars was always kind of something that i was my ultimate catharsis growing up and always having it there uh regardless of whether we thought it would come back or not like star wars just it's it's so personal to me and it's something that like i will carry with me because it was almost there for me when nothing else really was in a lot of ways um so i know we all have those things but yeah like it 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 means everything to me and i have the rebel uh insignia tattooed on the back of my arm you know and oh no shit yeah i do (laughs) right right next to my uh my jack kirby captain america Oh wait, I think I remember seeing that uh seeing that Captain America when you first got it. Yep. Yeah, I was we were still working together when I got it. Oh, righteous. So, I guess just to uh to get it out of the way up front, I mean, not get it out of the way like it's something that that's a task, but let's go ahead and uh and drop our first impressions so we can uh we can jump right into the topic. So, uh Ben, let's go to you first. <laughs> oh, I'm conducting a uh, an interview here. This Ooh. is this is weird. For the prequels, my first impression was seeing it in the theater because uh, it came out, what, 99? Yeah, yes. 99. Right? May of 99, yes. Yeah. So uh, I was, you know, a fresh-faced 17-year-old kid and uh, was super stoked that George Lucas was bringing Star Wars back. And uh, even though the kind of the tweaks that he'd made to the original trilogy didn't quite strike me the right way. Uh, they hadn't. They did, certainly didn't sour me on Star Wars. I mean, I was. It was a little like, why are you screwing with this thing? But uh, I was so stoked that Star Wars was coming back. That we would have new Star Wars again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like growing up with with the original trilogy, like all we could ever hope for was more Star Wars. But it had been it had been sixteen years. Well, it's funny, Ben. You bring up all those changes to the original trilogy, and after listening to last week's episode, I will say that I. I agree with everything on your list, but the fact that Jedi rocks was not number one hurt me. <laughs> it was, it was close. Man. I know. It was I, fucking I, close. Trust me. I understand most Eisley and it's, it's really hard to look at, but I just Jedi rocks legitimately makes me like knocks Jedi down on my list for that reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, that's fair. And, and so like I was just talking about, like the original trilogy came out right as we were born, like it ended shortly after John and I were born. Yeah. And so when the prequels came out, I was like, oh, this is it. This is going to be our Star Wars. This is the one that we're going to get to see in the theater. We're going to get to go to. Like, we're going to experience this like the last generation did. Like, this is going to be ours. It was fucking exciting. I I don't think I've ever been that excited about any media thing 
before or since. Oh shit. That I was uh, about Star Wars coming back. It was huge. And uh, then I went and saw The Phantom Menace in the theater. And um, I imagine most of our audience has seen it. Uh, I may not be surprised that I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> I remember walking out of the movie and just wondering what the hell had just happened and what was I watching. And it, I, it was, it, it kind of flabbergasted me. And uh, by the time Attack of the Clones was set to come out, I was like, okay. You know, he got off to a rough start. It's been 16 years. He's got to get his legs back under him. And uh, hopefully this one will be better. And and thus began my my tenure as a cautiously optimistic Star Wars fan. <laughs> that, that, uh, that affected you in a real way. Like to oh. this day, you can you can no longer get super excited about things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah exactly. Like I, I'm not going to get any more excited than I, I hope it's going to be good and, and steel myself against the worst. Yeah, that that was interesting. The, the when you touch on that, like there was so much love and excitement for Star Wars that even after Phantom Menace came out, we're like, okay, all right, but we're still excited because we're still getting more Star Wars. Like there, there were still lightsabers. Well, we'll just we'll we'll wait it out and see. Yeah, and it wasn't all bad, but it was yeah. there was it was it was not what I expected. Let me put it that way. I feel the same way. Like I, I don't really have any strong. Well, I guess I'll just jump into mine because mine is the exact same thing. I had uh, I had worked at a movie theater in our hometown right before that. I I quit before it came out, but we still had a good buddy that uh, that worked there and and got us some good seats. We all waited out in line for like two hours before, you know, just to be let mm-hmm. into the theater. And I don't really remember much from the actual experience of watching it, but what I remember most is leaving confused, just like should I like this? Like, was that good? Do I just not understand it? You know, and and. I I think over time I was able to come to the conclusion that, you know, I'm I'm absolutely correct in that. But yeah, it was it was a confusing experience. That's uh that's my first impression. Uh, what? Okay, so Mason, we we chatted a little bit on the on the way up here. So I feel like uh like your first impression of the prequels is going to be a little more exciting than ours. Quick clarification. So when you said your mom showed you the original trilogy, was that before you saw the prequels? It was, but. It came out summer of 99, May of 99. I was born in July. So I was about four years old when I watched the original trilogy for the first time. And then this was a, f- a few months before Phantom was coming out. And I vividly remember Phantom being the first theatrical experience I ever had. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, kind of awesome. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool for this podcast. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad always brings up this story because, you know, to jump ahead to the actual movie a little bit, like uh, at the end when uh, Obi-Wan cuts Maul in half. Spoilers. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's t- 20 <laughs> years old now. He was riding home in the car with them. And uh, apparently I turned to him and asked him, dad, why did Darth Maul take his pants off at the end? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. And he still tells that story. And I just remember being like, wow, like, I know I love Star Wars. You know, I, to me, it's like, yeah, sure, the prequels were what I grew up with, but, like, I I grew up with the original trilogy just as much, you know, and even though I didn't get to see those in theaters and, you know, didn't get to, you know, live with them as they were the only Star Wars movies, but I had a brief window where they were the only Star Wars movies, so that was still obviously my first introduction. Being a almost five-year-old going to the theater and watching that movie for the first time and, you know, just 
seeing the pod race for the first time and seeing the double bladed lightsaber from Darth Maul and and, you know, just hearing the John Williams score, you know, in the theater for the first time, just like I was I was so blown away. And, you know, I, I watched that movie so many times as a kid, like I, I'm young enough to still have had a VHS copy of that movie. So I just put it next to my my THX box set and, you know, I had all four of them for a while. And then as I got older, there were things about it that, you know, I I definitely take issue with and, you know, learning more about filmmaking and, you know, those things being, you know, very near and dear to me. And, you know, filmmaking is my passion in a lot of ways. Like I I definitely can recognize the flaws, but I absolutely respect the vision, you know? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And at, at that age, did you like identify with Anakin, kid Anakin? Like were you like, yeah, this kid's rad he's doing pod races and uh to an extent i my character in the prequels though is is obi-wan like ewan mcgregor no no disrespect to sir alec guinness the great sir alec guinness uh obi-wan kenobi to me is ewan mcgregor i think he's without question the strongest part of the three movies absolutely I, i would absolutely agree with that he did such a good job i'm actually kind of excited that he's getting his own show yeah i'm very excited about that yeah, that was one thing I, I came out of uh, episode three last night when I was sort of uh, when I was finishing up my notes and just doing a recap. Like I was I, I, I noted that, like, it's amazing that like in the uh, well, spoiler, here's my opinion of these movies, the trash piles that are these movies. Like everyone still remembers how great Ewan McGregor is as Obi-Wan. That's one of the few unquestionably great things about the these movies is that even though the movies aren't great themselves, like uh, Obi-Wan is such a fantastic character. I think Liam is amazing too, uh, as, as Qui-Gon. And like, I was really, cause as a kid, I was very much into, you know, like what John was saying last week, like lightsabers and Jedi were yeah. my thing as a kid. I, I loved that. Like I, I would, I was so obsessed with the green lightsaber and Jedi that I would just fast forward to the last 30 minutes of the movie just to see the green lightsaber. Yeah. When Qui-Gon dies at the end, it just like as a little kid, like that hit me so hard. And seeing that for the first time, that just like broke my heart because I was so attached to this character throughout this movie and, you know, kind of realizing, well, this is what has to happen for the story to go forward. But I was a Qui-Gon Jinn guy too, you know, and I think Liam is amazing in that one movie. Yeah. That was my note from, from Phantom Menace. It was just like, Liam Neeson is so much better than this movie is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Like he, he, he really was great. He was like the, uh, the wise Jedi that, that we didn't really get beyond Alec Guinness. And like Alec Guinness in the original trilogy was already just so old and frail that it was, it was hard to see him other than, you know, just like the, the super old frail wizard man. But like Qui-Gon Jinn was a, was a wise man. He was a mentor. He, but he was still a man of action. And at the same time, like Qui-Gon was very dedicated and devout in his, in his service as a Jedi. But the interesting thing about Qui-Gon was he was, he was always opposing the council in so yeah, many ways. Yeah. And there's a book that came out recently, uh, back around April, uh, that Claudia Gray wrote. She is probably my favorite star Wars author. Uh, it's called master and apprentice. And it actually takes place eight years before the Phantom Menace. And it's about, you know, the relationship of Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon and it's, it's fantastic. Like I highly recommend it. So real quick on the, on the topic of, of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, um, 
we uh we talked last week about the discrepancy of yoda being obi-wan's master in the original trilogy versus qui-gon being his master in the prequels do you have any insight on that because the the movies didn't explain that i just think that's george focused on the wrong things and you know I, i don't know like there's all kinds of stuff like that like that george tried to make work and i think in a sense like yoda's everyone's master yeah so from a certain point of view and everyone calls him master yoda you know and uh so i think that's just that's just what that is it's just a hierarchy thing you know i don't does does it say in the original trilogy that uh he trained obi-wan yeah it it does does? okay because clearly yeah Yeah, he said he was trained by yoda because it's been a little it's been a few months since i've watched the original trilogy so i couldn't remember if it actually says it verbatim or not but I imagine he, I mean, he was trained by Yoda to a degree. Like he learned a bunch of shit from Yoda for sure. Yoda, like I said, he, he would take the younglings like before they were assigned actual masters, like Yoda would be the one that, you know, was their, their kind of intro to this Jedi training as they were, as they were kids. And, you know, that's why you see that scene when in attack of the clones, when, you know, he's training the younglings, like that's kind of what Yoda's position was essentially at that point. Okay, that's fair. Jedi kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, while we're talking about characters that they introduced for the uh, for the prequel series, we've got Senator Palpatine, or you know, and and later on the or Chancellor Palpatine, yes, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. Eventually, now was there supposed to ever be any question that he and Darth Sidious and the Emperor were the same person? I think they tried to make that a surprise, mm-hmm. but I think it's very apparent because Ian McDermott, when he was asked about it, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's basically like he was playing two different characters and a lot of people, I think, involved with the production didn't necessarily realize it, but I think from an audience perspective, it's much easier to pick up on. Yeah. I think for me with Phantom, it's a little harder just because he's only really seen physically one time. He's usually just on a, on a hologram for most of the movie. And he's actually only seen once as Sidious at all in attack of the clones. And it's at the very end when he meets with Dooku after Dooku flees Geonosis. But then he's even then, like he's up until, up until the turn He's never really presented physically as Sidious very much. In the original trilogy, they never called him Emperor Palpatine either, right? They just referred to him as the Emperor. Oh, yes. that's interesting. So yeah, having been, you know, a little little nerd as a kid, you know, I knew that he was Emperor Palpatine, but Emperor Sheev Palpatine. It it seemed like even in episode three, when I was watching it last night, that that they were still trying to play it. Uh, but but like even in the holograms, they were they were showing his face well enough to be to where I would figure that anybody could be like, okay, well, yeah, that is definitely the same guy, but why we haven't had our surprise yet. So are they expecting people to not see it coming? I don't know. And his voice is not significantly different. No. Like it's, it's like he, it's a little different, but it's barely. He just talks lower as Sidious. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of draws his letters out as Sidious a little bit more. He's a little more fluid in the way he speaks as Palpatine. Yeah. It's like, I'm John Williams. Then the other one's like, I'm John Williams. Yeah, basically. Like, that's the difference. Not saying that was a good impression. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was an f- excellent John Williams impression. 
Um, and then we've got uh, we've got Padme Amidala. She's there for all of our movies. What what do we think of uh, Miss Natalie Portman? I think it comes down to for me. I like the character of Padme a lot. Um, I think in a lot of ways, aside from Obi Wan, she's really the heart of those movies, uh, especially two and three. I think that it's just some of her performance is fine, but I think a lot of it just comes down to bad direction. Yeah, I, I was wondering this as I was watching them. Like, like, was he directing them to act like planks of wood? He's <laughs> like, hey, you guys, cut it with the inflection. Uh, you just got to get rid of any emotion in your voice and just talk like you're like a kind of like a robot, but maybe not as stilted. I know a lot of these people are much better actors than the the way they're delivering their lines. Yeah. I don't understand it. But I think one of the best line deliveries in all of Star Wars is in Revenge of the Sith, right after Palpatine announces that you know the formation of the empire um and basically you know uh trying to uh lie about what happened with the jedi and everything like that and after order 66 and when padme is sitting there and says this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause i think that is such an amazing delivery it's also a good line it is yeah it's powerful as bad as most of the dialogue is in these movies, that's a solid line. That's one of my top five favorite lines in Star Wars ever, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think of like like a way to describe how some of these performances came off to me. And like most of them are between Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen's uh, older Anakin. The writing is so bad that, that you could imagine that there was like a script where there were several more lines between and then they just like cut out lines of dialogue and tried to piece it back together because it's almost like they're not even responding to each other well i have a funny thing to say about i've always said this about the sand line that everybody talks about we don't we don't do funny things on this on this podcast (laughs) very serious podcast (laughs) i've always i've always kind of found it funny because if you actually think about what he's saying that line could be so powerful because he was a slave who grew up on a planet surrounded by fucking sand you know like that makes sense why he would say that, but it's it's more just the way it comes across is creepy and weird and and it's not I don't I think the line itself actually makes sense to the character of Anakin. Totally. Yeah, like I don't like sand, it's coarse and it gets everywhere. Like it it the 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 following lines make a whole lot of sense. And you know, and then he talks about things being soft and beautiful. Yeah. But then he he has to do that weird, creepy, like back of the hand touch on her arm. Like that dude was straight rapey in in episode two well she was rapey in episode one (laughs) because because the last shot of her in that movie is her looking at anakin dressed up in his padawan ensemble and biting her lip (laughs) oh shit that was like the equivalent of like the the nala bedroom eyes right i'm gonna fuck that kid Yeah. So wow, know. I didn't even notice the lip bite. Oh, it's 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 the rapiest. <laughs> I I think I was I think I was too tuned out. Like I I noted on when I was watching Phantom Menace, like it it was like twenty or thirty minutes in, I was already tuned out. Like I was looking at my phone, I was like, oh fuck, I'm supposed to be watching this movie for a for a reason. I had forgotten how quickly in that movie Jar Jar Binks appears. Oh yeah. Like, I was hoping that I could get halfway through without having to deal with him, but no, he's fucking right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, Jar Jar's a weird thing for me because, yes, at times I find him annoying, but, like, I don't know, like, I just, I don't, I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people think he is. I think he's definitely got a lot more screen time than he needs. 
you get the fuck out of here <laughs> right this instant. Um, we made a huge mistake inviting you on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, I know I'm curious to hear you yeah. uh, support this claim. Well, again, it's I, it's not like I'm sitting here saying Jar Jar is one of my top ten favorite Star Wars characters. I just I don't know. Like I as a kid, like I liked Jar Jar, and I I thought Jar Jar was fine, you know. And I I, I didn't really see. It was weird for me, like when I found out that people didn't like these movies or a lot of the things about these movies. It was so much later in my life. Like, cause I wasn't really like, wasn't on the internet a lot as a kid. I wasn't really allowed to and whatnot. I was very sheltered and stuff. When I finally like started like reading things on the internet about movies and getting into, you know, like reading articles and, you know, people making lists of like the worst movies of all time and stuff like that. And then I like kind of like was shocked preteen or teenager finding out that people genuinely don't like the prequels like it shocked me because like i said these were what i grew up with you know and i i understand there's like a difference of generations and stuff like that but it, it genuinely shocked me you know finding out the the disdain a lot of people had for these movies now did you find a lot of people your age and and in your in your peer group also didn't like it or or was there a general love for that movie with you and your friends a lot of my friends growing up didn't like Star Wars the way I did. I only had a few friends that really liked Star Wars. Same with all of us. We only have a few friends. Yeah, exactly. But like more of my Star Wars friends are as adults. But the friends I did have as a kid that, you know, were into Star Wars, like kind of felt the same way as I did. My buddy Jared, he's like the biggest Jango Fett fan in the world. Like Jango Fett is like his favorite character. Django, huh? Yeah. Well, I like Django more than Boba. I think Boba is the most overrated Star Wars character, but you know, that that is fair. You know, that that is something that was cool in in episode two was that we actually got to see Django Fett being the Boba Fett that we all thought Boba Fett was. Yeah. I think Kid Boba Fett is one of the most annoying characters. Oh, he fucking sucked. <laughs> I, I I was curious when I was watching it. When he goes and like picks the helmet up and like holds it to his head, like is Django's head still in there? No, if you watch the shot right before that like as you see the shadow you can see the head fall out oh interesting yeah you know i feel like angelina made made some comment about about a head falling out but i didn't see that and I, she must have seen something i didn't i thought she was just making a joke like oh there's a head that's gonna fall out right after mace swings the saber it cuts to a shot of you know just the sand and then you see basically the helmet keep flying but the head fall out and it's just oh. it's just it's just with shadow so I was always wondering that as a kid, too. And then a few years ago, I, I picked up on that. Oh, I'm going to have to go. Wait, no, never mind. <laughs> oh, not that important. <laughs> Maybe I'll find a little clip online or something. So so not to uh, backtrack here, but uh, you like Jar Jar Binks? I, uh, I don't think we really covered that. I'll say this. Like where I'm at now with it is like I just I don't care. So is it more like a nostalgia? thing? Because he was literally designed, I think, to appeal to you. I think. I appreciate what they were trying to do with Jar Jar as an adult more than I like Jar Jar now, because I actually find Jar Jar, as the whole story goes, to be a very tragic character in a lot of ways. You know, he is definitely uh, annoying at times, you know, for me. But again, I've seen the movie since I was a kid. So it's just it's just watching the same movie. It's not like I have any harsh feelings about it. But like, for me, I really appreciate what they were able to accomplish with Jar Jar not even just from who he is as a character, like what they were able to do with Ahmed Best, that being like the first real legit motion capture performance like that. And I feel bad for Ahmed because like 
sure people don't have to like the character but like the dude did his job oh yeah yeah i, I would agree with that you know i didn't even know it was uh it was mocap yeah he's not mocap in the other two it's funny like that scene at, at the beginning of attack of the clones when they're hunting zam wessel down after she tries to assassinate amidala when obi-wan ignites his saber and, and cuts her blaster in half and they before they take take her outside there's a cameo of Ahmed Best as one of the people in the crowd, and then it cuts to a shot of Anthony Daniels as just a eh. human in the crowd. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's that, that's cool. I actually, at Celebration this year, went to the 20th anniversary panel of you know, Phantom Menace, and that was really neat, Like just to kind of see the heads of all the different departments, like uh, Doug Chang, who's the VP at Lucasfilm now, and he's kind of the modern-day Ralph McQuarrie as far as like a lot of his designs and you know, concept arts and stuff like that. And then uh, they had some other production heads. And then the cast members they brought out were Ahmed Best, Anthony Daniels, Ian McDermott, and Ray Park, who plays Darth Maul. That was a cool panel. And then George sent in like his his video message. And George, of course, said that The Phantom Menace is one of his favorite movies. <laughs> Jeez, he would. <laughs> I, I have, I, I told John, I have thoughts about George Lucas and we can get to that later after we run through the movies and stuff. But I, I have some things I need to say about George Lucas as a diehard star Wars fan. I'm curious, what were your feelings when you saw like R2D2 and C3PO in the prequels when you were a kid? Um, were you excited? Like actual characters that you can reference from the original trilogy yeah, like, showing Oh up. shit, look, he, Anakin built C-3PO. Were you excited about I was that? actually like really stoked about seeing 3PO and like kind of seeing like the process of 3PO, you know, throughout the prequels. And, and I love R2. He's one of my, he's my favorite droid. So I, I was just stoked to see him. But I do think one of the things like as an adult that I really find dumb is how R2 is introduced He's just the one droid that happened to not get blown off this ship <laughs> while he's fixing it. It just makes me laugh. I remember even at 17, I guess I was jaded enough then, but like just almost kind of rolling my eyes like, really? Like, why would he be here? <laughs> this is this is does not seem necessary at all to have like droids apparently have really long lifespans in Star Wars. I mean, I, I get a new phone every two fucking years. <laughs> yeah. And and yet you've got 70-year-old droids in the new movies <laughs> right. that are still fucking relevant. It just seems mind-boggling to well, me. Well, that's one of the things that makes adult. me laugh about about R2 in the sequel trilogy is like it's it's kind of like he is an old man uh, because he can't really do a whole lot. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of uh, shelled up for most of The Force Awakens. Yeah, I was so. going to say he's he's asleep for most of it. Yeah. He should be. He's kind of like a computer that runs on punch cards for fuck's sake. Like, what are you going to do with it? Well, that's the other thing, too, is like R2 remembers everything. Yeah. You know, 3PO doesn't. He has his mind wiped at the end of the prequels. So R2 remembers literally everything and R2 could explain everything. He's he's really good at uh, at uh, the dramatic flair, you know, like in 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 even in the original trilogy, like they've got this mission and like. 3PO is trying to figure out what they're doing. He's just like, nah, it's cool. We're, we're just going this way. Just just come on. I think R2 is just kind of a dick, too. That's why I like him so much is he's just like, he's just like, no, fuck you. We're doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I think he ran out of fucks during the Phantom Menace <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and never refilled. I even as a kid, though, I, I always didn't really like the R2 flying thing, though. Oh, yeah, that was that. No. That was frustrating. Like if he had that ability, why didn't he use it? 
like all the time. That was probably one of my bigger issues with the with the prequels was that technology and like ship design and stuff was seemed far more advanced than the original trilogy, which I get it. Like, you know, they 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 have CGI. They have the ability to create better looking ships. But, you know, it didn't make sense to me that that ships would progress in the direction of getting more clunky and more chunky and you know, as time goes on, I remember trying to like, you know, as time goes on, I remember trying to like, uh, reason it away with, you know, okay, they're rebels. They've just got these shitty old ships, but you know, you, you see a lot of ships and they're all just big chunks. Some of that's just design aesthetic. Like, I mean, if you look at like cars from the fifties and cars from the eighties, cars from the fifties look way, look way sleeker and, yeah. and way more yeah, that's like, fair. They're like, like they're rounded and they're smooth. That's just the design aesthetic of the time. Whereas in the 80s, they were like, we like boxes. We like big square edges. Yeah, that's fair. And I also think, too, it's like, I agree with what you said, John, about like, you know, their old rebel ships and stuff like that. But it's also most of the ships and stuff we see in the original trilogy are just military ships. We're not visiting planets the way we are in the prequels, you know, yeah. and we're not seeing just the civilian life you know the way we do and we're not seeing planets like coruscant or you know naboo and stuff like that and i also think too the empire is going to do things a lot cheaper you know what i mean the fleet is so much bigger so let's just make everything look like triangles you know yeah, and, and they totally stop painting all their ships exactly They're like fuck paint this is space we don't need paint everything's gray there were some high gloss paints on some of them uh them ships in the prequels shit those are shiny all right, fine. I'll let go of that one, guys. I, I love the Naboo Starfighters, though. The yellow Naboo Starfighters. I think I think they're so sick. I think that's one of my favorite ships. I appreciated them more this time around. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, why are they flying backwards? What the fuck is this? Why is everything behind them? What's going on? Now, this is pod racing. Oh, shit. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, I would like to touch on something from the prequels that uh, that we've all talked about loving. And that is that we get some uh, we get some Jedi and lightsaber action, and that that was something that I thought was really great. Was that Phantom Menace just opens with Jedi and lightsabers and Force powers? They're pushing shit. They're opening and closing doors. They're whipping those lightsabers around, knocking the shit out of droids. Like I think that was a great way to start a not great movie. The lightsaber duels in the prequels are head and shoulders above anything from the original trilogy. Holy shit. They got proper choreography and and everything. Like, they are just so much better. Darth Maul was a little, like, uh, you know, a little dancey in his fighting. Like, he he was pretty fancy. He was a fancy guy. Oh, he did those flippy-doos. Yeah, he did lots of little flips and little... It was like ballet. Like, he reminded me of, like, those uh, Turkish guys that spin around in circles. <laughs> yeah. Whirling dervishes, that's what they're called. Ray Park is is amazing as far as all that stuff is concerned. Like, at Celebration, there was a, just people standing around him, and him just, like, he still got it. Like, he's still just whipping these sabers around. And Well, yeah, because he's, he's a real martial artist yeah, in absolutely. real life. Who also played Toad yeah. in X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> and he was Snake Eyes in G.I. Joe. Yes, he was. Yep. <laughs> what happens when a toad is struck by a lightning? <sighs> The same thing that happens to everything else. God. Oh man, that that line was worthy of being in the prequels. You know that that I I love I love the story that that uh, that Joss Whedon uh, of Avengers and Buffy fame had taken a pass at the X Men script 
And the only two things that were kept from his past were that line and then the uh, the line where where Wolverine's like, relax, it's me, because Cyclops thinks it might be Mystique. And he's like, prove it. It's like, you're a dick. It's like, okay. It's like the best <laughs> and worst line in that entire yeah, movie. No shit. Both came from Josh. All Spain. over the place. That's funny. I, not to get off on a side note, but. We're already there. We're good. My favorite line from a supervillain ever in a comic book movie comes from that movie when Magneto says, you homo sapiens and your guns. I just, I, <laughs> I love that line so much. It's, it's just, it's so cornball and comic booky. And I just, I think it's, I think it's perfect delivery. Well, and to Magneto guns are pretty quaint. Exactly. Yeah. Though lead is not magnetic. Very true. So oh, shit plot hole. <laughs> um, and something I want to touch on real quick, Mason, because, uh, you've mentioned celebration a couple times. So just for, for the listeners out there that don't know, give us an elevator pitch on what star Wars celebration is. Star Wars celebration is, you know, at face value is essentially just it's comic con, but star Wars. And I've been twice now. Uh, I went in 2017 uh, in Orlando, and then they took 2018 off because Last Jedi had come out in December, and then Solo was coming out in May, so they were like, we'll just do it real big when we launch The Mandalorian and Rise of Skywalker. We'll just do it real big again, and then they did it in Chicago this year. So I've actually gotten to travel for both of them, and the thing about Star Wars Celebration for me was Star Wars Celebration made me love Star Wars more than I ever did but in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Like I have friends now that I've met from all over the country and the world, like that are my friends because we bonded over star Wars, you know? Yeah. Made you love the fandom, not just the franchise. I will say, yeah, exactly. And like with Chicago, because of all the divisiveness and, you know, I'm all for letting people have their opinions, but you know, the, there's been some divide in the fandom for the last couple of years. And, as the, there always has been, but and there always will be. But like the real fans who just love Star Wars, kind of just they took it back at Chicago, and you know it was it was amazing, and it it just it was the best five days I've had. I didn't I don't know how long. Orlando was great, but I was also doing it for the first time, and you know I've never really been to a lot of conventions. Uh, I've been to some local ones and whatnot, but I've never been to like a big convention until then. So I was just kind of figuring out how to go about it chicago like we did everything we wanted to do uh, i went to pretty much every major panel i was able to get some artwork and some merch i wanted and i was i was able to just meet people and i was able to just bask in this thing that i love with sixty thousand other people for five days and it was it was unbelievable and star wars celebration to me has elevated what i love about star wars and as i said to you guys earlier, I went and visited a buddy of mine who lives in LA and I met him because of Star Wars Celebration. Oh, cool. Yeah. My buddy Sergio and me and my buddy Rob, who I went to Celebration with this year, we went and visited Sergio in LA and we all went to Galaxy's Edge together for the first time. And that was just like, that wouldn't have happened if we didn't meet him at Celebration. Fuck yeah. It's fucking awesome, man. It's definitely on my list to make it to one one day. Though I, I got to say, I think they really missed an opportunity not calling it Star Wars Life Day. <laughs> oh, shit. Not this again. <laughs> yeah, it's actually in Anaheim again this year. So I'm very pleased I don't have to leave California. <laughs> All right. Well, getting back to the prequels, guys, you can tell me if this is a hot take or not. 
because coming out of the you know our our badass lightsaber battles and Darth Maul with his flippy doos, his and Obi Wan's lightsaber duel was fucking killer. It was very short, but I thought it was fucking great. You know, once you see Obi Wan letting loose a little bit after Qui Gon's killed. But here's my here's my my little thing. I don't like Darth Maul. I think he fucking sucks. I think he looks stupid. Really? I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I, I love Darth Maul. I always Maul. liked the way Darth like that was one of the redeeming features of Phantom Menace is that he was uh he was a cool looking bad guy. It, it always came off to me like they were trying too hard. Like like it it just looked like like some face paint. It didn't actually look like a like an alien skin and like I don't and, know. I, I think I would have appreciated George Lucas trying a little harder on the Phantom Menace. So Well, I think <laughs> I, I think George Lucas was with those movies much more concerned about technology than storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say as far as like the production value of each of the three movies, Phantom Menace to me, as far as just a production, I believe other than, you know, the current trilogy because of just, you know, the technology we have and it's way more refined. The Phantom Menace is the best blend of practical and digital effects from anything that came out in that era. And I think a lot of it still holds up. Like I think some of the like pure CGI sets, like like the Gungan battle at the end doesn't really hold up as well. I think that battle occurred on the default windows background. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, that's why like I like with infinity war, I'm like, well, this just looks like the Gungan battle. My old film school teacher always says that, you know, he gets triggered anytime he sees a, uh, just green green pastures and blue skies and a battlefield <laughs> because it just triggers the Phantom Menace in him. So he can't even take the battle in Infinity War seriously, even though it's substantially better. See, that's that's interesting, uh, getting that take from you on, on the CGI because, I mean, I'm admittedly somebody who, who is not a big fan of CGI when, when practical can be used. And I cringed throughout that movie because the, I, I felt like the CGI did not age well at all like to me it it looked like a poor video game and and it yeah. made it made me wonder you know you know like how much of the stuff i love from when i was a kid like how how badly that is aged but i but i still see it through my childlike eyes and mind and my love for it so i'm I, i'm really curious if if that could be the same case with your generation could, or, or if i'm just being a shitty old man about it you know where i'm like oh, ah, fucking cgi no, i don't know if that's the case i just think the at least attempt to blend the two okay and in, in phantom menace it, what makes me appreciate it as a production more than the other two because even the bad cgi that doesn't hold up in phantom menace still looks better than most of the things that are in the other two movies well and on this note we were we mentioned this earlier before we started recording like i i watched uh the phantom menace on disney plus last night <laughs> And I remember thinking the whole thing, like there was a lot of places where they could have used practical that would have looked better and would not have been terribly difficult, especially given how much work it took to do some of the CGI and it's still not looking super great. I mean, it looked good for 1999, looks really dated now. And then you guys mentioned that in the theatrical release, I think there was more practical effects that maybe have since been changed, i.e. Yoda. Because Yoda was in the one I watched last night was totally CGI. Yeah, but Lucas also basically did his own special edition with the Phantom Menace as well, which is annoying to me. Welcome to the club. No, trust me, I I I definitely have my issues with with the special editions. So I'm happy I didn't have to 
grow up on those but the first time i owned them on dvd it was just like what the fuck man yeah i didn't know this until we were on our way up that that they did do that that they did a cgi replacement with yoda like that that was insane to me because in the first one when i was watching it like holy shit there was a yoda puppet but it looked fucking awful it was it was frightening it did not look anything like you like like it, it looked like like uh a child had seen you know jedi and empire as a little kid and then as an adult somebody was like oh yeah draw that yoda guy again he's like oh okay uh here we go he's short he's got big ears and uh some wide eyes but it, uh, he, he had these weird sunken cavities around his eyes that made it look like really thick eyebrows oh, he looks like he's on meth yeah like- yeah, maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> so it, I, it it blew my mind to to know that uh, that Lucas went and did a digital replacement afterwards. It, I mean, to his credit, the digital replacement did look better than that puppet. Yeah. yeah, I don't think Yoda looks that bad in in the prequels. Like, I think I think for the most part, like he looks fine. I I think he's one of the characters that I think I you know I I can take him either way. The weird thing is though is like I get Lucas trying to make him look younger. But it's like he's already eight hundred something years old. Yeah, like, he's only shit, right. There's nineteen years and we're there. Well, there's nineteen in between three and four. There's three years in between four and five, and one year in between five and six, and then thirty years between six and seven. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So fine, whatever. No, I'm just saying, like, even twenty three, <laughs> twenty four years later. Yeah, that's not going to make the difference. Uh, he's already—he's nine hundred already. Like, why would it matter to make him look younger? <laughs> they would have had a hard time doing some of the stuff that, with puppetry that they did in the prequels. Oh yeah, like, totally. I, like I remember being in the theater when he first, you know, like, pulled his lightsaber out and started fighting, and uh, it erupted in cheers. Like people lost their fucking mind. Yeah, seeing Yoda pull out a lightsaber and start whooping some ass for the first time myself included like like it was just like holy shit yeah this is pretty rad you actually get to see this guy be a badass jedi and they couldn't have done that with puppetry they needed to do that with cgi so what made it weird for me watching the cgi was just like that that stuff that they can do with cgi where where you know they can manipulate his skin and like his face muscles in ways that are actually more accurate to like to to an actual living creature but it's not accurate to what i know so it, so it looks odd seeing him move in those ways because I've just never seen it before. So it looks wrong, even though it's probably more like biologically accurate. Yeah. But- it, like, with, especially these days with motion capture and shit, it's you can convey emotion a lot easier than you could with a puppet. Yeah. Could you imagine like a little person doing mocap for Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yes. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> um, like just seeing like the behind the scenes of some little person. Keep it in the family. Get Warwick Davis. Yeah, absolutely. I was glad to see him in The Phantom Menace. Yeah, one of Watto's buddies during yeah. the pottery yeah, scene. He made a little uh, cameo there. That was cool. He's Weasel. Um, that's his, <laughs> I think it's spelled with a Z. But funny enough about that character, in Solo, at the end, when uh, they're on uh, Savarine and Empus Nest and all her crew are there, you know, after they, they're trying to do the bait and switch with the Coaxium. The character that Warwick Davis is playing in Solo is the same character he was playing in Phantom Menace. Oh shit! Awesome. Yeah, so that deep, is deep that, cut shit. That is interesting seeing some of these uh, some of these crossover characters, you know, showing the love for the for the prequels. Like 
without giving anything away for the Mandalorian, because Ben still hasn't seen it. I watched episode one. Okay. Well, when, when you watch episode five, this will make sense, but this isn't a spoiler. <laughs> there's those, uh, there's those droids that are working on the, uh, on the pod racers that they're, they're like little guys that can fold into their helmets. Yeah. You hit them on the nose to turn them off. Hey, hit the nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- those guys actually show up in an episode of Mandalorian, but you know, I, again, I haven't seen this movie in 15, 20 years, so I didn't know it. I'd seen the episode of Mandalorian before watching Phantom Menace. I'm like, oh, shit, look, it's those guys from The Mandalorian. Yeah. Well, I noticed in the first episode of The Mandalorian, they had the Glogdam trash can droid. I have n- no idea what that droid does still. Yeah, Angelina looked at it, and she's like, oh, I like that guy. I was like, hey, <laughs> trash can droid. I guess it's decent for escorting somebody from one room to the other. <laughs> what else? I'm not sure. Screaming while being tortured. there is a scene in revenge of the sith i want to talk about though that i think even people who dislike or like that movie i think for the most part i I don't know what you guys think but can agree it's it's one of the strongest moments of the trilogy is the opera scene when anakin goes to speak with palpatine and he tells him the story of darth plagueis that that's the uh the the metallic, uh, bubble, watery globule. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, that, that, that is where he's tempted to the dark side. That's plot pivotal. Yeah. In the 140 minute version of all three movies that I just watched, uh, that scene was absolutely there because it's super important. It's like one of, they had six minutes from Phantom Menace <laughs> <laughs> and probably about as much from that one scene. Yeah, and and I think that to me, I also think like just I think the last moments of Revenge of the Sith also are very emotional. Seeing the juxtaposition of Padme having the children, and then Anakin going through his his surgery and and you know his transformation, I think that's really powerful. But the thing I love about the tragedy of Anakin is the whole reason Padme died is because he went to the dark side. But the only reason he went to the dark side was to save her from death. Yeah. yeah the future's a bitch. Yep. It, was, it was tough watching that. Yeah. But it really, like you said, it was meaningful and it was poignant and it, and it made sense. Like, it was very sad that, like, I understand his motivations. Like, sure, he turns into the, to the galaxy's biggest asshole. But which one of us would not be tempted by an offer like that if we were desperate to save somebody we love? Absolutely. But then you probably shouldn't choke her. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, he's already the biggest asshole in the galaxy. So (laughs) I will say this hot take. I agree with what Ben said last week about Vader's no being added to Jedi. That sucks. But I don't understand why people think the Vader no at the end of Revenge of the Sith is such a big deal. Because to me, at that point, he's not Vader yet. Like he has the suit on and that's why it throws people off. But Wait, his life just got ruined. Exactly. Well, yeah, that, so, that one's legit. I don't understand why people hate that so much. It's like, dude, he literally has had this suit on for two minutes. Like, what is he supposed to do? Like, it's do we want him to complete completely emotionless? I think I think what it is for me is just that that the the cry to the heavens of no has become something that is that is cheeseball. That it's, it, a it's, meme. it's not effective anymore. So, you know, like it, the same thing happened when like dr octopus first came came back from consciousness and he'd killed a bunch of doctors and his life was ruined his wife was dead and he goes no you know it's it's ham-fisted like he's uh he's all emotional and shit's getting crushed 
Like if if he would have actually like put out his arms and crushed shit like with the force like consciously and just let out like a like a guttural yell or something like that to me would have been less cheese ball. It was just hearing James Earl Jones's no. <laughs> it was just hard to take it seriously. I can understand that too. And like I said, I understand maybe the presentation of it, but like I, I definitely understand the the intent behind it would you prefer if he was like fuck (laughs) yeah and and you know the 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 problem with the with the james Earl jones voice and conveying the emotion like that is that you can't really convey much emotion it's he did his mufasa (laughs) well yeah i mean and yeah that that, that's that's yeah but you know i mean i know it's not the same thing can convey emotion yeah darth vader is pretty dry (laughs) yeah like can you imagine darth vader like laughing at a funny joke <laughs> like it, it, it would sound weird sounds like a robot chicken episode so do you guys want to take a little break yeah sounds good to me all right we'll be right back <laughs> hello check out our podcast grand rapidians play video games every episode we review a beer talk about games we play and recommend a podcast or something else i'm willie i'm not your normal beer snob i've been to more than 150 different breweries but i always keep hams in the fridge (laughs) i'm ginger and i am in the first guinness world record book video game edition on the tetris page i'm simon and i can usually kick their butt in most video (laughs) games we drink while we record (laughs) fuck yes we do (laughs) find us wherever you find podcasts and enjoy Hey, Ben and Mason. Yes. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Oh, I should have left it to uh, Mason to welcome you back, Ben. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you, Mason. No one ever welcomes me back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've taken our little break and gotten a little fresh air. Um, we've got our, our heads screwed on straight now. Maybe not like these movies. <laughs> I Even though I admittedly do like them more than, than John and Ben, but, you know, I, they're not, they're obviously not without their flaws. But there is good about them. I think the framework of the story is there. I think ultimately what it comes down to for me, the issues with them as films is just execution. These movies had a huge problem with execution. Don't let George Lucas write your dialogue. Don't let him direct. (laughs) Don't let him touch your movie. He's more of a big picture guy. Yeah, let him him create (laughs) the idea that you love that creates the movie and then get him out of it. Well, and that's... If I can do that now and my whole thing about George, your pal, George, I owe George Lucas for the thing I love most in life, which is Star Wars. I think, you know, any Star Wars fan is indebted to what he created. Yeah, that's fair. But here's my hot take. Oh, shit. Here we go. I think George Lucas gets too much credit for creating Star Wars. Ooh, all right. No, I, yeah, I could feel that because after especially after watching the prequels where basically had carte blanche it's like man i'm glad people told him no exactly and what's missing from these movies is gary kurtz and irvin kershner and lawrence kasdan and you know he had rick mccallum as the producer on the prequels and mccallum was there to just be a yes man and you know you could tell that after all the all the hubbub happened with fox and the dga and everything like that and you know a lot of people disrespecting what he was doing creatively with star wars and part of it is this is his fuck you. I don't think he intentionally meant to make movies that were riddled with flaws, but I think at the same time, like 
he's just like, I'm just going to do what I do and I don't care. And I understand like where he's coming from with it, but like you still need to make the best movie you can. And well, yeah, like everyone told me like, George, you can't do it by yourself. And he's like, Oh yeah, fuck you. Watch me. And unfortunately we watched him. You know, he shot attack of the clones on one camera. Really? They only used one camera. I can't remember what model it was, but he was like all about shooting digital and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, fans of the show email, email them because I won't be here later. Yeah. At email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. I, I, I think just some of the choices he made and the fact that, you know, he had no supervision or not so much supervision, but oversight, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of childish the way he approached these movies. So did he not even have a second unit? I, I don't I don't believe he did. Holy because, shit. Like, I guess I'm not surprised, but I just never would would have even thought about that because I definitely know there was, you know, a second unit on the original trilogy. And then absolutely there is on the Disney era. But it blows my mind that, you know, he just was so about his vision to a detriment. And I'm you know, I know we're all creatives and artists and we, we you know, we respect the artist's vision. Yeah. More than anything. And, you know. Whether I like something or not, I'm more than likely going to be on the side of the artist and the vision. But this was almost to a detriment, you know, in a lot of ways, in a lot of people's eyes. Even though I don't hate these movies, I think that's a big problem I have with George. And I don't feel bad for anything people say, regardless of whether you like this, the sequel trilogy. And, I, and, and that's a whole other conversation. But like, I think he did what he did, and it's not his story to tell anymore. So. You know, he doesn't have to like what they do with it. He didn't have to give it up if he didn't want to. Yeah. And the little bit that I've heard about uh, his plans for episodes seven, eight, and nine would suck. Does not really make me pine for the fact that they didn't get produced either. Yeah. So even I don't if you know. take issues with the movies we do have, yeah. I'm, I, I, I would have not liked what he wanted to do. He wanted. He he was going whole hog into midichlorians. Yeah, he wanted exactly. He wanted to make the midichlorian trilogy, and and <laughs> like, it's just oh, it's just like what are we talking about here, George? Like, but you know, and I I will always respect him and and his balls and you know his his tenacity as a creator. But it's just it just frustrates me. And then the other side of that too is when people say Disney only cares about you know merchandise, and and I'm like, oh my god, George Lucas is the man who created the idea of the tie-in and the and the toys and the merchandise for movies like like that was his biggest thing he made money off of for years and there was literally every toy you could imagine from return of the jedi exactly yeah every I mean, fucking character in that movie had a toy it and same insane. with the prequels yeah he he had the foresight back in the day to look at how valuable merchandising could be because there weren't there weren't many you know like large movie tie-ins you know there was like captain action and like the bionic man but but he he worked it out in his deal with the studios that he would get merchandising rights and he made a mint off of that in 99 we're getting mountain dew and pepsi cans with darth maul's face on them you know and and we're getting you know taco bell tup or cup toppers you know with all these weird characters and it's just like what disney's doing is what george started you know that in that doesn't regard. make it okay i'm not yeah, but it's not new it's not new, I'm, but like that's 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 the business. Like people want to act like Hollywood is, you know, it, Hollywood's a business first and foremost. You know, oh yeah, if they don't make money on something, there's no point in doing it. Exactly. Like you can be creative all you want, but 
you know, and I, I love film in general, but it's like, there's a reason why, like, you know, nobody's rushing out to see these small independent movies and, you know, or, you know, studios are, are hesitant to make these kinds of movies because no one's going to go see them. And there's no, there's no, there's no product to be sold other than the film. Well, and and especially with the star Wars movie, it's such a production. Like you can't make a star Wars movie for a hundred million dollars. Nope. You just can't do it. Like it is a giant machine. And if you did make a Star Wars movie for $100 million, you better be really fucking good. I think the prequels were all made for around 120. Yeah, and they weren't really fucking good. But inflate that, though. Like, you know, like... You know, they, they've they got to put so much money into a Star Wars movie to appease the fans that it better do well. Exactly. And, you know, like Force Awakens, I think, came in at around, I, th- I want to say, like 270 uh, 270 million last Jedi was about 317 and solo and rogue one were also both north of 200 production value on all of those movies is stellar absolutely it's as good as you've ever seen from any star wars movie or most movies ever like they're great they really put in the time and money to try and produce something amazing and i and, and i think they pulled that off yeah i i agree and you know regardless of one's opinions of those movies, the, the competence is there as far as, like you said, the production. Yeah. So Disney hasn't shorted out on production at all. And I, and I hand it to him for that because Star Wars deserves it. It does. It does indeed. But yeah, I don't know. That's just, those are just my thoughts on George and, you know, I love the guy, but it's just, and I'm super excited to, to go visit his, uh, his museum in a year or two, uh, whenever it opens. Where's that going to be at? So he donated like, I think it was the largest single donation ever for, uh, for a museum dedicated to him. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically, it's the Lucas museum of narrative art. Oh, okay. Which is awesome. Like I, that's, are they going to have Indiana Jones stuff there too? It's not just like Lucasfilm stuff. It's, it's, it's basically a storytelling museum and some of the renderings, for the for the plots and the plans and what the the design of the building is going to look like is insane. It's going to be so cool. It, and and one thing I got to say about Lucas is he knows how to tell a story. Like he is a, a good storyteller. Like if you look at the core story in even the prequels, it's it's fairly solid. Like you can nitpick some of the details and definitely the execution, but the man understands storytelling. The fact that someone let him go with dialogue was maybe a mistake. Yeah. Probably could have had someone come in and uh, help him write dialogue and it would have really helped. Well, even with the original trilogy, that's the whole thing. Like the dialogue in a new hope is not even close to as good as the dialogue in empire or Jedi because he, he wrote a new hope by himself, you know, and he had had Lawrence Kasdan and Lee Brackett for the other help. He got people that are good at that thing to come in and do it. It's like, I I'm shocked that he didn't decide, you know what? I'm going to, do all the CGI animation myself. Because <laughs> if he'd done that, it would have it would have been terrible. Have you ever seen those behind the scenes videos of uh of the prequels uh, where they're you know with like all the uh the the prop designers and the and the character designers and everything like that and like just him looking at models and holding up the model and everybody around him is just silent waiting for his approval. It's like he's a god. It's insane. It was like like this was the perfect storm for this guy to just no one told him no. Yeah. 
You you don't dare tell George Lucas no. Yeah, that dude is the, got the biggest fucking ego. He earned some of that, though. He did. He absolutely did. And, you know, he also was burned by the industry in a lot of ways. So I, I understand why he did some of the things he did. But at the same time, you got to be a little more professional. And, and it shows, you know, that he wasn't ex- those weren't the most professional productions. At least he didn't Weinstein anybody. No, oh, that's geez. the truth. He's got that going for him. Not, not that we know about. I mean, I, I, if there was anybody that, that I'd be scared of coming out against, it'd be George Lucas. He'd special edition me right out of existence. That would ruin my life. <laughs> but, you know, talking about story there, in, in this prequel trilogy, like, it is the story of Anakin Skywalker who, who becomes Darth Vader, his rise and fall. But, Ben, I, people our age, we had years to speculate and to learn about, about Star Wars and the characters and the history that was written. Like you said in the last episode, everything was fleshed out. You know, he had these stories. So like I knew about Anakin Skywalker being, you know, Luke's father and succumbing to the dark side and Obi-Wan beats the shit out of him and he turns into Darth Vader. Do you think that the general public or in, in Mason's case, the, uh, the, the younger audiences knew that that's what this was like, was it marketed that way? Or do you think people just saw it as Star Wars movies and, and they're like, and w- was anybody shocked that it was the creation of Darth Vader? I don't know if anyone was shocked, but I, I don't think that was the, uh, it's, I don't think it was marketed that way at all. I think it was just like, here's what happened in Star Wars before the Star Wars, you know. And for all the people that didn't know the Star Wars, cool, whatever. For those in the know, like it was fully, like you knew Anakin turned into Darth Vader. Yeah. like Before I, the first movie even started. I guess that, that was probably what got me most excited before those movies came out was the fact that we were going to get to see this story that I'd, that I'd heard about over the years. To that point, like, I think the story of Anakin is fairly satisfactory. Yeah. Like, like he was this kid. He had a lot of raw talent. They brought him in. They're like, I don't know if we want to train this kid. Not only is he too old, like, he's been a slave. He's been estranged from his mother. Like, there's a lot of fucking emotional issues. Yeah, he's got fear. Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. This is a nine-year-old who's been through some shit. And that could be a problem because the Jedi like to like, you know, steal children when they're babies where <laughs> they can, you know, make them what they want to make them. Well, that's the thing I'll say, too, is like, I think the original trilogy is all about the what. I think the prequel trilogy is all about the how. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah I like that. So, you know, and again, I, I was too young to genuinely remember the marketing for Phantom Menace. I definitely remember the trailer and all that. But like, you know. I think I think that's the whole point because it's like we knew where this was going to end up. Yeah, we just it's didn't, a prequel. Yeah, exactly. We just didn't know how we got there. And then I think the the sequel trilogy is the what now. Mm-hmm. Have you have you guys heard of uh, the Machete Order? I uh, don't know. It's an order in which to watch the the first two trilogies to get the maximum impact from both of them. So I, I read about this a few years ago, and I was going to do this with Angelina because she wanted to watch all the movies before the new movie came out. But unfortunately, with the podcast schedule, we just we couldn't fit it in. So I just had to watch them in, in release order. But what it is, is you watch episodes four and five. So you, you get to see Luke's you know journey from him discovering the shit to getting Up to the, the big shit. reveal. Yes. And then you go back and you watch episodes two and three. It, it completely... Uh, avoids episode one, which I thought was funny earlier. Ben. Sensible. Yeah. When, when you were talking about how that, that super cut only had like six minutes mm-hmm. of episode one, 
Um, there's a whole big explanation online about why you don't need to watch episode one. Like almost anything that's important to the story, Doesn't they happen. recap in episode two. Yeah. yeah. And you know what the six minutes of episode one that they showed in that cut were? Pod race. No. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> that would have taken 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that scene, no. that scene was, is amazing, though, in my opinion. I think it's awesome. Really? I do think <laughs> I do think the pod race is one of the coolest things. I think the pod race would have been super rad if it lasted like eight minutes. 20 minutes was a bit much. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. But I also think like the technology and the filmmaking on display. Yeah. And Avatar is a great movie, too. That's a different conversation. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's the same conversation. Well, it's like, hey, look at my big technology dick. But, Isn't it great? But I think the whole thing with the pod race is I just I love the way that that whole first lap has no music and you're just engrossed in the sound design. The sound design. I, I made a note of that, though. The pod races as as long and shitty as it is. And, and this is true for most of Star Wars. The sound design is fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's one thing you can't knock that trilogy about, regardless of some other of the other flaws it has. Almost like, any of them. Like I, that was one thing I didn't get to in the last episode was the fact that the sound design in Star Wars is phenomenal. Yeah, like you've got all these alien races, you've got fucking droids, you got all this stuff going on, and they did a really good job of making everything sound unique. Like every single one of those pod racing pods is that what they are? are they pods. <laughs> Because you're racing them, I guess they're pods. Each one of those pods. Well, they're pod racers, is what they are. Yeah, that's the. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, they sounded unique. <laughs> you know, Sebulba's had that like sound to it. Like every single one of them, as they went by, had a unique sound to it. Like it was absolutely phenomenal. That was my favorite Lego set as a kid that I had was the pod races or the pod racers. Those those were awesome. I had I had the set of the three of them, and it had Anakin's, Sebulba's, and. One of the other random ones, it was the character Gascano was his name. And it was like a green pod racer and it was awesome. Yeah, I yeah. agree. But, and, <laughs> coming back to what I was saying earlier, the six minutes that they had from the first movie was the uh, Qui-Gon Jinn Darth Maul fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, that makes sense. It starts with Darth Maul coming through the door and they dumped everything else from that movie and it didn't fucking matter. Yeah. And all and that's exactly the 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 point with the machete order is that is that it 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 takes luke's journey and then it juxtaposes it against anakin's journey from you know from the important parts you know when he's learning the force and then it, it shows you know the different direction he goes in and then you see so you watch episodes two and three and then you see the conclusion of anakin's arc turning into darth vader and then that drops you into episode six to see the close of both of their stories. And thankfully, Luke didn't knock his sister up. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah. But that baby would have been so strong in the oh, force. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> oh, boy. It would have looked fucked up, but it would have been the strongest force baby <laughs> ever. <laughs> so what do you guys think? You, th you think we've uh, we've spoken about this uh, this prequel trilogy enough? We want to move into some structure? Well, I have one thing I want to say real quick. As much as I, we all know that the trilogy is Anakin's story, I think it also is every bit as much Obi-Wan's story. Oh, yeah. Like, even maybe more so. I, I, I know the whole thing we're getting to is Anakin's turn, but I think the most important thing about that is his relationship with Obi-Wan. 
And I also think it's Padme's story too, like, and not, and not even to a lesser degree. Like, I definitely think it's more focused on the two of them, Anakin and Obi Wan. But I think, I think Padme is equally as important to this whole thing as they are. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because she she is the the main motivator. Yeah, and she's the political side of all of this. There's a deleted scene from Revenge of the Sith where her and Bail Organa and a few other senators who are kind of picking up on the shit that Palpatine is doing and they are essentially like it's it's like almost like the early days of the rebellion and and almost kind of like the the planting the seeds for the rebellion. I, I don't know if it would have necessarily worked in the movie, but it's it's she's very important to that that concept and that idea of of you know the rebellion and yeah, the birth of it and the birth of it and i tell you i think i think probably other than the bubble opera scene my favorite scene in the entire prequel trilogy is when right before anakin goes to uh stop mace windu from arresting palpatine or potentially mm-hmm. killing him yeah right before the actual turn is when he's sitting in the council chambers and he's just bawling and he looks across and sees the apartment and then Padme is standing on the the balcony of the apartment looking at the Jedi temple yeah and just the 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 score and you know just just the emotion in that moment is is one of the few perfect moments in the prequel trilogy I think I also think John Williams score is as good as ever in those movies too yeah, you know, I mean, the duel of duel of the fates, the the theme from the from the end of Phantom Menace, and it comes back in in uh, in Revenge of the Sith in the end. That I know that gets a lot of love, and I really love that for how unique it is. But for some reason, I didn't find the score as appealing, and and I it seemed to me like like as the the trilogy progressed, that they started to lean more into the uh, uh, Luke's theme and Vader's theme. You know, for even just for little stings, but then also like weaving it into the score, which I appreciated. But but to me, I, I I couldn't help but wonder if they were sort of trying to trying to tap into people's nostalgia after the first one, because the first one really didn't have those stings at all. Yeah. Um. Well, it, there's some there's some stings that I like that are like new uh, or new to the trilogy. Like there's the uh, it's it's not the Imperial March, but it's essentially like the droid army theme mm-hmm. um it's the dun 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 you know that yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really great and then i don't know i just think there are some cues that are just really great and and i don't know if it's the pieces as a whole that are so great but i think the cues in the prequel trilogy are awesome and um i also think that the uh, the the main love theme between anakin and padme the across the stars song is also it's awesome i love it my my cousin a few years ago got married and that's actually what his wife walked down the aisle to. Well, that doesn't bode well. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, they played an acoustic cover of that and, and, uh, yeah, that's what she walked down the aisle to. After so. the wedding, he's going to choke her and then she's going <laughs> to die in childbirth. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, hey, Benjamin. Yes. Do you have a favorite use in pop culture for the, uh, for the prequels? Um, I do actually. Whoa! Yes, I do. What you got? So my favorite use in pop culture, and I discovered this back in 2010. And uh, in fact, like I used to have like a uh, like a media server where I like loaded all my DVDs and stuff up to. 
And instead of the prequels, like I didn't, I didn't get them, but I did get this in in lieu of them. And so, like as far as my Star Wars collection went, it uh, it included these instead. Was the Plinkett reviews from Red Letter Media? Those are very funny. Oh, they are, and they're almost as long as the actual movies. Yeah, no, that's what I was about to say. Each about two hours long. Holy shit! And they, uh, he just goes through and uh, reams them a new asshole. In a really, you know, there's some really good film critique going on in the most stupid way possible. It really is. And it's almost like it's frustrating to me as as funny as I find it. It's so frustrating to me, too, because it's like it's it's like the most egregious nitpick thing you've ever seen in your life. Oh, yeah. No, he goes through and just fucking every little bit and piece picks the movies apart. And uh, there's some there's some egregious, weird, like uh, pizza rolls holding women in your basement parts that probably don't need to be there. <laughs> yeah, the, it's it's pretty creepy <laughs> that are that are a little weird. <laughs> but uh, by and large, they're fucking hilarious. I watched him at work when in 2010 when I uh, wasn't working much. Like, I mean, I had a job, but uh, the work was minimal. So I, I could spend two hours watching a movie review. And uh, they gave me great joy. Yeah, I really don't like that channel a lot just because, like, I don't really care for cynicism. But I do think those are are fantastic. They're solid critiques of the movie, and they're entertaining. And, uh, like, I mean, he goes through the whole fucking movie. When I was thinking about, like, what do I have time to watch? I really loved those. And I looked at them, I was like, well, fuck, they're still two hours each. I don't have time to do that either. Yeah, I remember watching one of them, but I don't remember which one it was. But I I remember laughing my balls off. But it was it was actually, weirdly enough, you know where we watched this, Ben? No. In New Orleans. Yeah, that makes sense. That's yeah. where I lived. Yeah. The, the one time I came out to visit you was full of uh, drinking and hangovers and Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, as any good journey should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mason, what about you? Do you have a favorite use in pop culture for these prequels? I do. Uh, and that is from Weird Al Yankovic's 1999 album, <laughs> Running With Scissors, The Saga Begins. There it is. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite moments at Star Wars Celebration this year was while we were waiting for the panel for the 20th anniversary, the DJ that was like the hype man before the panel actually started played that song and there were 10,000 people flashing lightsabers and all singing that song. Almost <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> what a bonding experience. <laughs> it was so fun. I was, I was so hungover cause that was our last day at the convention and I was just, just shit faced the night before, but that just made me so much feel so much better. <laughs> oh, that's great. The music video is so yeah, it's hilarious. Too. And, I like American Pie a lot, but I just think that I can't I can't hear American Pie like that's with a lot of Weird Al songs, but it's like specifically that one. I cannot hear American Pie without singing the lyrics to the saga begins. Yeah. Yeah. I would say overall, though, like just to throw it back, my favorite thing in all Star Wars pop culture is the Family Guy Star Wars movies or episodes. Those are the best. Yeah. <laughs> Solid gold. Yeah. Those are good parodies. I love and, you. And they, they, they follow off. them. Yeah, they follow them like like they they are they are extremely faithful, but just with that with that Family Guy twist. Like like I every every time I see Star Wars now when it, when uh, when Han says like "Don't get cocky, kid," I think of Peter saying "Don't get penis, yeah. kid." <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, well, the I love you. Fuck off. Yeah, you know I lost it the first time I saw that, and 
if I like have a day where it's like I feel like I want to watch the original trilogy, but like I don't want to watch all three, I'll just watch all three of those episodes because <laughs> yeah. I, I have I have the box set of all. Yeah, you can of get them. it done in an hour and a half. Yeah, exactly. Go. Seth MacFarlane is a pretty big nerd. Oh, he absolutely oh, yeah. is. So uh, yeah, he's, that was done with love. Yeah, he's a proper Star Wars fan. He's a proper Star Trek fan. He loves show tunes as well. I can't empathize with show tunes as much, but <laughs> yeah. the other two, uh, I'm solidly on board. Absolutely, yeah. No, those are great. But yeah, as far as the prequels go, the saga begins. It's just, it is the one thing that like everybody likes about those movies is we got that song. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, mine mine is uh, is a little more obscure because if I if I could be completely honest with you guys, I mean, even even if I can, I'm going to. I don't have a whole, I mean, like I really had to search my feelings to, uh, to find something that in pop culture that I loved about this. It, it was very difficult. My favorite use in pop culture is the toys, but more specifically what this movie did and what the merchandising did was it finally created the opportunity for toy companies to make uh, shitty, but then less shitty afterwards lightsaber reproductions okay you know when i was a kid all i really wanted was a fucking lightsaber so even if you had those little telescoping ones that, that you could flick out you could still sit there and go yeah you, know, you can make the noises yourself and you could actually have a lightsaber battle and from that came you know higher quality reproductions to to the point to where now you can have legitimate like sword fights with people with light and sound mm-hmm. and all of that so like I said, it's a stretch. I know it, but it's either it's either that or I sit there and go, I got nothing, guys. I, I think that I think that's pretty solid. I remember getting my first like the lightsaber that you'd pre- you press the button on, you'd flick it and it would roll all the way out. Yeah, yeah. That was almost certainly after the prequels came out. Yeah. And those things were bad as fuck. Like I remember feeling so cool. <laughs> and n- note, I was an adult when this happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was not a we child. We were not children. No, but getting a lightsaber where you could flick it out and it would come on and make the lightsaber noise. Yeah, it was fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and then like the, the wave too, where when, when you yeah. would like swing, it would actually go. <laughs> and like when you hit, it would do the. Something about lightsabers. Like I actually just built my own lightsaber at Galaxy's Edge a couple months ago, and that was a straight up spiritual fucking Brag. experience. It was awesome. When around the time Revenge of the Sith came out and I was like, I was, I think 11 when that movie came out after we had got the DVD and me and my brother would just watch it over and over again. And when I met Hayden Christensen at celebration, I told him this and I, I said, Hey man, I want you to know that like when I was a kid, like me and my brother, we made lightsabers out of these old broomsticks we found on our property. And we taped them up and made made the hilts look like Gears and Obi-Wans as best as we could. And then took blue painter's tape and wrapped them around. And we would just run all over our property reenacting the Mustafar fight at the end with the dialogue and everything. Oh, no. And, Why would you do that? Well, we were kids. Like, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a pretty awesome childhood. <laughs> but but yeah, and we, we just we grew up on like four acres and like, you know, we, we just we had all this land and we would just. We would just, you know, reenact that fight and beat the shit out of each other with these broomsticks. In my opinion, it's the Jedi who are evil. <laughs> Man, I, I, I got two kids on five acres right now, and I wish they would do something like that. Yeah. They're fucking dorks that are sitting around playing on their phones <laughs> all the time. Like, come on, make some broomstick lightsabers, you little turds. Yeah. Go outside. <laughs> and we got to a point like where, like, 
we would try to take them everywhere with us and my mom was not fucking having it it was hilarious but no lightsabers at the grocery store (laughs) yeah exactly i'll never i'll never forget like just just having that with my brother my brother has been in the military for the last few years and i haven't been able to premiere any of this new trilogy with him he gets out of his service on tuesday so i actually get to watch the rise of skywalker with him and you know have him sitting by me to watch this movie for the first time star wars is something we grew up loving you know and and so so having that like to see the last movie of this saga with my brother after not getting to see the last two with him is awesome this is like something we're celebrating him getting out of the military with and yeah Shit, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I bought 25 tickets for opening night, so... <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I came into some money uh, of late, and uh, right, right around the time they went on sale, and so I was just like, fuck it, I'm buying two rows. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, he's serious. I don't have 25 people that I would want to see. <laughs> so good for you. You know what that just made me think of, Ben? I don't, actually. I know. That's weird, huh? You usually do. I'm not a Jedi. Yeah. I can't see the future. But you are not a Jedi yet. (laughs) We should do that sometime. I should buy 25 tickets just in a giant circle in the theater so nobody can sit next to me and fucking talk. (laughs) (laughs) It would be amazing. (laughs) Buy a bunch of fuck you seats. Yeah, yeah. just, Just like five rows, like five wide. Oh, 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 wow. Okay, that that's on my lottery list. When J.J. Abrams makes a Superman movie, you can do that. Oh, shit. I might. I mean, I read that flyby script for, for his his proposed Superman movie back in the day, and I don't know about that, but I I I, I trust J.J. Abrams a bit. I've I've he doesn't give me uh uh the willies. You know, I don't I'm not I'm not worried when he's uh when he's in charge. I am very excited for for JJ coming back and to start this trilogy because the thing people always say about Abrams is like Abrams is great at starting shit and he's never really had the chance to finish anything. So, you know, I, I really think he's going to going to bring it home. Yeah, and I I heard somebody say this before and and I I to- it totally resonated with me that like they said that they're excited to see what J.J. Abrams will do when he's not doing what Disney want or what, what he thinks Disney wants him to do. All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't have a ranking list for this week, but Mason, you said you uh, you had a ranking list that you could you could throw down upon us. Yes, I do. I'll, I'll just give you my my whole list across the board. Oh, OK, you're going to you're going to rank the movies. Yes. All right. As our guest. We can't give you too much shit, but uh, let's let's see what you got. Okay. Watch me. <laughs> All right. So there technically are 11 movies. Oh, that's one thing we didn't talk about is the Clone Wars um, in regards to, you know, we don't got to go off oh, on it, but, but the TV show. Yeah. Like to me, almost those those that show almost kind of makes those movies better. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a solid runner up on my favorite use in pop culture. The, the Clone Wars was the best thing to come out of the prequels. I think some of the storytelling in that is amazing. And that's George actually letting other people, you know, play in his sandbox. It was like the holiday special. Go ahead. Make some shit for TV. I don't care. Indeed. Um, but yeah, I, I love that show. And I think Rebels is great, too. For the movies and all their flaws, we have the Clone Wars TV show. And that's enough for me. This ranking is going to be 
super hot take right now. (laughs) Okay, so at number 11, I'm just going to put the Clone Wars movie because it technically was a theatrical release. So that's the animated movie that led into the the show. Yeah, I tried watching a little bit of that. Oh, it's awful. It it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was painful. It's awful. Even in context of the show, as good as the show is, the movie is horrible all right well good because that kind of scared me away from clone wars i I was i'd heard nothing but good things about the tv series so i was starting there but yeah it was Ooh. all right so then 10 would be attack of the clones okay this is where i might ruffle some feathers oh no don't do it number nine is return of the jedi get the fuck out of here (laughs) nope nope show's over thank you very much for coming out to this fucking whatever today folks if you like what you hear Hit us up on social media. Buy our shit. If you like what you just heard, fuck you. Yeah. Until next time, eat a dick. (laughs) Kevin McLeod. All right. What's next? Okay. (laughs) I thought you were serious. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Uh, uh, Rogue One. Okay. Yeah. That's Um, that's pretty low. Number seven would be Solo. All right. Six would be Phantom Menace. Jedi below Phantom Menace. Yeah. Are you talking about like reissued Jedi or yes. OG Jedi? Yeah, because I haven't been able to watch OG Jedi since I was a little kid and I don't remember it as oh, well. I, I have it. Oh, yeah. I we, will give it to oh, you. Oh, yeah. All right. That is, this is like a public service oh, that I will wow. provide to you. This is Ooh, ridiculous. We, oh, I can't wait to follow up on this after Mason watches the original fucking unspecial or despecialized. Well, because I've seen them, but like, but like I had my VHS box set and then something yeah. happened to it when we moved when i was young and then i got the uh what was it the 2005 release on dvd yeah when the the gold and silver editions they did and i i was just like okay well this is the version i have now i guess and that's the only version i've seen since i was like oh man if you get get those double disc ones from 2004 they've got the original on there but fuck those because we've got the originals all right sounds good oh um number five would be a new hope wow really yeah because here's my thing about a new hope I love it, and it's obviously our, our everybody's introduction to Star Wars, or should be at least. Yeah. But you want to talk about an incompetent production saved in the editing room? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like, that's I, like, it's not, I'm not saying I don't enjoy the movie, but like, it's really like, it's really kind of rough in parts. You can tell that this movie had a lot of problems as far as the production is concerned. Oh, yeah. When you do a deep dive on the story behind the creation of the movie, like, holy shit everyone talks about how how george luke's then wife was like the savior of star wars yeah absolutely like her cut of the movie is what made it what it is absolutely number four is revenge of the sith okay um i just think regardless of its flaws i think it's definitely the most emotional entry in the series and for sure it's my favorite of the prequels yeah it is it is definitely the best it has those moments that hit me regardless of some of the dumb shit and you know the bad compositing and CGI like it, it is still emotionally resonant to me as it is as it was when I was 10 when I watched it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Number three is The Force Awakens. OK, I won't argue that I, I really liked Force Awakens and I don't have a clear cut. Number one, I go back and forth because I, I again, holy shit, I'm in the wait minority. a minute. I know what the two that are left holy are. I'm intrigued. Shit. You were, you're not kidding about it being a hot take. I'm I'm not going to say that one or the other is my favorite. I think just the fact that these two are are vying for one and two. But I go back and forth. To me, it's like if I can move everything up a slot and then keep Empire and Jedi or Last Jedi one A and one B and and flip flop them. 
I, I don't know which one's my favorite of the two, but they are my two favorites. You know, I have a pretty clear ranking up until that, but I go back and forth. It's, it all depends on what mood I'm in that day and which one I would say is my favorite. Wow, that that is yeah, that is nuts because Empire is my favorite, and Last Jedi it's definitely not my least favorite because uh, the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones is yeah, or Attack of the yeah, but yeah, God, they're so so bad. Attack of the Clones to me is the only live action Star Wars movie I cannot oh. actively defend in any way. I was thinking about it before watching the prequels. I don't think I I had actually seen Attack of the Clones since the theaters. Like all I really remembered was like Jango Fett getting his head cut off. I mean, I've seen that movie a lot and I still watch these movies like I, 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 I can just throw on Star Wars because Star Wars to me is I, I accept the good and the bad of it. You know, like that's just how I am about it. Like I can't turn my brain off and not nitpick other things, you know, and, and find issues with other things. I just choose to enjoy Star Wars. That's nice. I wish I could do that. When I when I was watching the thing I watched, there was a whole lot of shit from Attack of the Clones that. I barely even remembered. I was like, wait, hold on this. Shit? Oh, yeah. The one the only thing from that movie that I that really resonated with me that I was like, oh, I remember this was uh, the shit in the like the arena because I'd played the Lego Star Wars game. Yeah, <laughs> which is so fun. <laughs> wait, so I I have to fully admit that that maybe I, I must have missed something on your list because my flabbergasted reaction was because I, I had one different movie in there for the last one. Where did Solo fall in there? It was at, I had it at uh, s- oh, shit. seven. seven. Uh, oh, okay. Well, we may have glazed over that. I thought it was coming down to Solo and Last Jedi. No, 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 no. Oh, so no I, I didn't I, say Empire. Empire. Yeah, 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 I had very much noticed that Empire wasn't on I, I had yet. spaced out on Empire. I, I just all of a sudden, like, I was like, holy fuck, are you kidding me that the top two are... are Solo and Last Jedi? No, no, I was, no, no. I was about to lose my mind. Yeah, you're I, not getting a ride home. I, I will <laughs> say, when I went to at Celebration this year, I went to uh, the uh, ILM presentation of m- making Solo, and that was amazing. Yeah. Because uh, Rob Bredo, who is the CEO of ILM, did this whole presentation about how they pulled off a lot of the visual effects for that movie, and it was really cool. I'm I'm just guessing that Lord and Miller didn't show up for any reason, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Wow. <laughs> you know, similar to like a to like a Snyder cut of Justice League, I wish I could see what Lord and Miller would have done with Solo. Yeah, I I think some of it's there because I don't think Howard had the time to reshoot the entire movie. Yeah. Um because when you want to reshoot an entire movie in 3 months, you get Justice League, you know. That's <laughs> I mean? true. Um and you get bad fake looking corn um (laughs) (laughs) mustache gate yeah i definitely think a lot of it's there but i think it's coherent enough to where i don't really know and i think the same thing with rogue one like i I don't think like necessarily like you can tell what was what was reshot and what wasn't right yeah there was that whole thing with uh gareth edwards not turning in something that kathleen kennedy was happy about yeah, so sidelined a little bit. Yeah. And he chose to play ball. Yep. And Lord Miller didn't, which I respect both. Yeah. You know. Yeah, do what do what you gotta do. Absolutely. But I like uh me and my buddy when we saw The Last Jedi for the first time, speaking of Gareth Edwards, like it's the dumbest thing to like freak out about, but like when you see the uh the soldiers on crate at the end of the movie in the trenches and the guy does the salt thing, the guy next to him 
is Gareth Edwards. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Really? So me and my buddy were just like, that's Gareth Edwards. And then in Rogue One, the beam operators for the Death Star, it's Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman. Uh, wait, who's Ron Bergman? Ron Bergman is the is Ryan Johnson's, like, the producer that helped make Last Jedi. He produces all of uh, Ryan Johnson's films. Oh, okay. So he basically was co-producer with Kathleen Kennedy on uh, on The Last Jedi. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, it, regardless of your opinion of the movie, if you can, there's a documentary that came out with The Last Jedi called The Director and the Jedi, and it's all about Ryan's process. It may not change your opinion on the movie itself, but it's a very good insight to like where his mind was and, and what he was trying to accomplish with telling this story. And I think it's really great. Is it just like 15 seconds long? It's like Star Wars. And then it says, he just wants to piss you off. No, it's like the an end. hour and a half. Fuck you. It's, it's like an hour and a half long. And it's, it's, really, it's really something. So what do you guys think? You want to wrap things up here? I think so. I think it's about appropriate. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up as we always do. Mason, let's start with you. What is your one word review uh, for, this, uh, for this film? uh trilogy these prequels that's hard um because there are things i enjoy there are things i don't like but if i were to if i were to sum it all up i would say questionable would be my word i could see that yeah i would i would say that because i have the nostalgia factor and as i mentioned at the beginning of the episode like the phantom menace was my first theatrical experience that's wild I was four, about to be five, going into kindergarten, going into school, you know, starting my life, basically. Like, you know, these are like vivid memories I have. And like I said, like Star Wars in general, like my life started when I saw Star Wars, you know, and it's been with me ever since and it's never left me. And, and you know, so I'll always have the nostalgia playing and I'll, and I'll always remember seeing the trailers for Attack of the Clones and seeing the trailers for Revenge of the Sith and, and loving both of those movies as a kid. And then, as I said, I got older and I learned more about filmmaking. I learned more about, you know, what's good and what's not. And not that I let, you know, other people's opinions sway mine, but I started to see more problems and I started to see more issues. And yeah, you can be objective about it despite your, your feelings. And I started to understand why people didn't like these movies. For me, it's like, regardless of their flaws, they always will hold the special place in my heart because I did get to see them in the theaters. And I did get to see all three of them, you know, and I watched them all a million times and I was a prequel kid in a lot of ways. And yeah, I imagine that would be that would be similar to like if my mom would have done the right thing and taken me to see Superman four in the theaters back in 87. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I love that movie just the same, but I realize it's not a great movie. But if that was my first theatrical experience, holy shit, like, yeah. I'm so jealous of, of what you got to do with Star Wars. Yeah, and and I don't know, man. I just I think the the memories created with the getting older and and you know learning about what makes a good film and what doesn't would that's why I would say questionable. Yeah, I think that is totally fair. So, uh, what about you, Ben? Well, I think I'll take a slightly different take. My, I think my one word review for the prequels was uh, heartbreaking. Oh, ouch! I loved Star Wars. I still love Star Wars, but. My love was definitely deeper before the prequels came out, essentially, <laughs> where I, you know, I went to see them and I was so stoked. I was so happy. Like it really, 
really made a lasting mark on me when they were uh, what they were. And since then, it has been near impossible for me to get excited about a Star Wars property. You know, it's like, uh, you know, when a girl breaks your heart, you don't... Uh, Wait, you you married the first girl you dated. What do you know about that? <laughs> yeah, and if she broke my heart, I'd, 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 I'd start sleeping with dudes or something. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just say, like, yeah, like, it's just like, it's it was just, it, it crushed me. In a way that I that I, I I think I still have to recover from. Yeah, that explains why you're so emotionless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George Lucas ruined me. Oh no, but it was just it was I was so my hopes were so high and they were so dashed that uh, I think it just taught me to steal myself for mediocrity. <laughs> I mean, it will it will keep you or at least help you to not be as disappointed by things. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So George Lucas also helped you. Maybe yeah, he, he taught me that life sucks and <laughs> yeah. that uh, don't expect good things because yeah. you're not going to get them. You can't depend on things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know I, if that's good or not, but <laughs> I feel like with me, though, like as far as like expectations go and stuff like that, like, sure, I've, I've been burned by other movies. You know what I mean? Like, I genuinely hate Avengers Age of Ultron, but I was also so excited for that movie. And then after that movie came out, I was like, I need to learn to separate excitement and expectation. And oh. I think that's I think that's a healthy thing to do. Well yeah, and that that is absolutely what the prequels taught me. And uh you know, I guess that's good. So there's that. Yeah. Always look on the bright side of life, right? So what about you, John? My one word review, we were going over it earlier and uh I didn't have a word, but there was a word that I just kept on saying. My one word review is woof. <laughs> solid review <laughs> and and i think if if you've seen the prequel trilogy whether or not you agree with me because i've got i've got people on on both sides of it right here i think you can understand exactly what i mean by that i swear i said that so many times during during the uh the movie whether it's the cgi or the puppets or the i mean cgi <laughs> dialogue yeah you know and the cgi uh, but well, I mean, some of the most egregious things like, like that we didn't touch on. So I'll just, I'll just hit real quick is when they would CGI people flipping. There are so many instances of human oh, beings shit. flipping and jumping that CGI when, when Christopher Lee's count Dooku at the beginning of uh revenge of the Sith. Yeah. When he jumps off. off yeah. Like, what the hell are they even doing that for? <laughs> Why? Why are you doing this? You gotta stop <laughs> in and some wires. And yeah. Do it. Have somebody flip. Did I find some enjoyment in those? Yes, absolutely. Obi-Wan as like a space hero just tickled my pickle. I loved seeing him go on his adventures in episodes two and three where he's flying spaceships and he's sneaking around and finding shit and, and wrecking shop with his lightsaber like Obi-Wan, especially after the last episode talking about how, you know, I'd, I'd want to be him if I was anybody in the in the trilogy. I love that character so much. I just love detective Obi-Wan, you know, yeah. and, and and like, that's when I talk about execution is like that framework of that plot is so good, but it's just executed so poorly at times. Yeah. You know? And yeah. And, and I'm so stoked, especially after watching this again for the, the forthcoming Obi-Wan series on, uh, on Disney plus. I'm so excited. I hope, I hope they throw Vader in. I'd be shocked if they didn't, um, or maybe they'd save him for a season two if it went well. 
It's only going to be one season. It's six episodes. It's just, it's just, it's just six episodes. That's it. Really? Yeah, it's just one season. Yeah, Mando's only eight, right? Yeah, Ho- but hopefully that, those episodes are hour long. Yeah, that's what that's what I would hope. Yeah, that, that's what we were thinking with Mandalorian, but they they really like aren't forty minutes. Yeah, yeah, some of them are like thirty two minutes, but but yeah, about Obi Wan is like uh, two things about him. I love Obi Wan because he's the only character in Star Wars that you ever see actively seeking alcohol. and in attack of the clones uh that whole nightclub scene just because of like his hair in that movie and everything uh me and my buddy always say like attack of the clones or better known as the the funky disco adventure or the funky adventures of disco (laughs) obi-wan yeah (laughs) i like that you know we didn't bring up real quick was general grievous like any thoughts on that character at all he he looked like a character rendered from a animated tv series like rebels and and i was like wait is this like some fucking roger rabbit thing where they're mixing (laughs) cartoons and cgi like are they gonna make a joke about it by and large though his character design was pretty fucking cool yeah it just it plays better in the show when he shows up like i i still remember when he fucking pulled out his arms and they turned into forearms with four lightsabers thinking like okay that's pretty fucking cool yeah it's badass that's pretty rad all right i also think the other thing too is like just the locales i just i just enjoy seeing all these new planets and yeah and the world building and you know as annoying as gungans can be to some people like i'll never forget like seeing the gungan city for the first time like you know and and seeing naboo and seeing coruscant and- see i thought i thought with with the gungan city like he's like oh it's a secret and and they like dive in and they like swim right to a super bright city underwater <laughs> Like, it can't be that secretive. I just have to jump into the middle of the lake and swim a couple feet. It's less secret at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, like, just the presentation of when you see them swim over the little hill and you just see the city for the yeah. first time is cool. And, like, I just think the locales are interesting. Like, you know, and, you know, we get planets like Camino and then, yeah. you know, Geonosis and, and, and Mustafar. Mustafar and, well, and, and especially in episodes two and three, Coruscant was really, really cool to look at. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it, it even inspired me with like, you know, I'm drawing a comic book right now that, 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 uh, that me and Ben are writing and I've got like a futuristic city and, and it made me think like, oh shit, I need some more of this. You know, I need more, more of these tall buildings in the distance that, that looks really cool. You know, so I, I'm going to have to go retool a couple pages. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see Kashyyyk for the first time, you know, and oh shit. Thank you so much for reminding me. Ben, did you see Kashyyyk stuff in your supercut? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you see two Wookiees swinging down making Tarzan noises? Oh, I didn't know. No, there was no Tarzan noises. They, but they do that. They did swing down and uh, land on a thing and then blow it up. Yeah. They made Tarzan noises when they did it. Oh, my goodness. I wonder if they took it out of, of, the, of the later editions. No, I saw, no, I saw that on the, like, like the fan cut. They definitely would have cut that out. Oh, okay, yeah. They full on made Tarzan noises. It was so hilarious. In the in the cut I watched, it was uh, the neon noir cut, which was okay. The music was a little heavy handed because uh, I think they were trying to cover up all the edits. And uh, there was maybe like eight minutes, ten minutes of dialogue in the whole movie. Oh shit! <laughs> like they they cut the fuck yeah, dude. out of dialogue. I it, mean, it was a, a bit much. It was so great after after mentioning you know in Jedi when Chewie does the Tarzan noise. That's sort of sort of half hearted. In this one, it is full on, and even the kid, because because the little one was watching it with me, 
She's like, what? They're making Tarzan noises? Yeah, like, I she love even that. caught that. My six-year-old. Hey, if they do it enough, maybe Tarzan is making Wookiee noises. <laughs> I love that. So I think all said and done, like there are great things, but woof. I can't even think of the time that I'm going to go back and watch these movies again. And that's fair. Like, uh, you know, I, I definitely see that perspective, you know, and I, and I know you guys see mine. That's the thing. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and act like these movies don't have their problems, you know? Hey, Ben, I don't think I see his perspective. Do you? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to pretend I do. Okay. Sounds good. It'll keep the peace. <laughs> Good thing we didn't give him headphones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd like to give a special thank you to our guest today, uh, Mason Andriata. Mason, where can can people find you? What are you up to? Every once in a while, I uh, go on another friend of mine's podcast uh, called The Mosh Cap Theory. You can find that on iTunes or Google Play. About a month or so, we're going to do our big, long 2019 movie podcast. So if you want to listen to... A bunch of sweaty nerds yell at each other about movies for three to four hours. Then who doesn't be, yeah. be our guest? Uh, it'll it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at drama mace, all one word, M A C E with an underscore at the end. And I, I appreciate you guys for having me on. You know, may the force be with you guys. Thank you very much, folks, for traveling a slightly longer time ago in a galaxy just as far far away. Um, if you want to let us know how we did today, you can email us at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com, or you can hit us up on the uh, social medias. We've got the Facebook page, Geeksploration the Podcast, Instagram, Geeksploration Podcast, or Twitter at Geeksplorepod. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please go on to Podchaser or iTunes to give us a five slain younglings review. Also, uh, we've still got some merch available at shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com. And our theme song is Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Until next time. Now this is podcasting. Ew, you even had the inflection yeah, of Anakin. Yeah, like, that was but, solid. Ooh, <laughs> gross. All right. <laughs>